Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I love the book of Romans. I love the chapter of chapter 12. There, like, it's one of my favorites. Um, so super excited about this. And starting off, I want to just throw out the idea that we have to practice everything in life in order to get good. From the time you are a little baby, you are practicing stuff. Now, my kids are lucky because they've got like a kid. I got, my parents took like six pictures of me. And three of those pictures were me stuffing my face with food and practicing to eat. I want you to see what these pictures look like. This is me eating at, yeah, oh, I know, I know. It is really cute. Um, but I can't get the food in my mouth. This, this one, whoa, hey Siri, stop it. This one, like chocolate something all over my face. And I had to work so hard to learn to eat that this kind of stuff is what happened next. I'd be at the high chair and I'd just fall asleep. I guess it's, it was a lot of work, guys, practicing how to eat. I've gotten better. I don't get stuff all over my face. The only time now is when I'm eating ice cream and I like to make my kids laugh. And so I just like put it all over my face. It's awesome. And it's refreshing. It's cool. Um, but then there's, you have to learn to walk. You have to practice walking. And if you are in families like mine who are mean, you set the little kid down who can barely walk around and there's nothing for them to hold on to and you just laugh at them as they fall on their face. But you have to practice it, right? Eventually you're going to get to where you fall on your face enough times the kid's going to learn, I should learn how to walk. Biking, we have to learn how to bike. Everything we do. In fact, this is just a, a free little tidbit for any people who are going to have little children you haven't yet. Um, you need to get one of these when your kids start riding a bike. These things are amazing. If you've never seen them, they're, they're the best. So we used to always do training wheels. And you're doing training wheels for a long time. Then you take the training wheels off and then you have to have a parent run, run behind you for a long time. And then at some point the kid's like, are you holding on? And you're like, yep, I'm holding on. And they're not and they fall and then you lose all trust for the rest of their lives. You know what that's like. But if you get your kids one of these, a balance bike, they just, they like move like this because there's no wheels. No, 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 uh, what do you call them? Pedals, thank you. And so they, they learn how to balance. And then you put them on a real bike in like 10 seconds, they've got it. It's so cool. So we have to practice things all the time. If you're going to learn stuff, you got to practice. But here's the thing that I find interesting. It's almost as if none of us really learn how to practice thinking. Now you might be like, Kellen, I went to school. But especially the follower of Jesus. We don't really understand what that practice looks like. Um, and so there's a guy named Andy Andrews who write, write, wrote a little book called The Little Things. And he was writing about the idea of Michael Phelps, the great swimmer who kicked butt for like 16 years straight at Olympics. Um, what it might have looked like going on in his mind. He said this, all activity and movement are initiated in the brain. Had Michael Phelps allowed a negative thought during the race, might that momentary doubt have added two hundredths of a second to his time? Or was a positive thought quietly whispered to himself on the starting block, responsible for the hundredth of a second that made the difference between gold and silver? It's all about our mind. And now here's the thing. I'm sorry, a lot of my illustrations, they come back to sports. I get it. If you don't like sports, I don't know why you've stayed as long as you have, to be honest with you, okay? 
But for me, it, when I'm running, and you're in a race, back in the day when I was in high school and I'd be in races, sometimes people would they'd stick behind you for just long enough, and then all of a sudden they would pass you. And there's two things that can happen in that moment. As they pass you, something clicks in your brain, and you're like, I can go with them. And so you start running faster. And usually what happens is when you make that second move, maybe it defeats that person's mentality. Or the second thing that can happen is they pass you up and you watch them pass you up and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't do it. Mentally, you're defeated. And what happens is a lot of time then, not only do they pass you, you start to go slower. Because what happens in the brain, it starts to take over in our body. If you're a runner, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, it's It's a defeating feeling when somebody passes you and you're like, I can't do it can't go. So that's why some of the greatest athletes in the world, they actually hire sports psychologists so that they can be thing to train your body to be able to, to perform at a high level. But it is as important, if not more important, to train your mind to perform at a high level. So athletes have to do both. And so I did something this week. I googled, I put in the words into Google. I said, thinking better as an athlete. And Google's awesome because Google just spits stuff out at you that is cool. And this is what it came up with. It gave me a blog by a guy named Donovan Martin. It said, five tips to mental toughness in sports. And I think these tips are interesting because I think they also, they, they go along with, you could actually make them into some spiritual tips. So they are, take care of your, yourself physically. The best thing you can do for your mental toughness is to get good sleep, eat well, and exercise. I do like one of those really, really well. I don't get good sleep. I I eat okay. At least I exercise. I'm doing okay. Then it goes, stop judging yourself. That's a mental thing. Practice positive self-talk. Train for adversity. Train your mind for the adverse moments. And then know your why. Know why you're doing what you're doing. I could pick out scripture verses and make those five points into a sermon. Because there's something about our minds, just like there is as athletes, we have to train our minds to follow Jesus well. Listen to this. Being a successful follower of Jesus takes training. It takes constant training. Much the same way that being an athlete takes training. It all starts in our mind. Now what do I mean by being a successful follower of Jesus? That, maybe that sounds kind of icky. It just means somebody who, yeah, you're going to mess up, you're going to make mistakes, but you're constantly trying to follow Jesus a little bit closer. Trying to walk with Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, if you are thinking in life the way that everybody else who doesn't follow Jesus is thinking, guess what? You ain't going to look any different than them. Your life's going to look the same. And so I think that one of the most important practices that we can practice in our faith is retraining the way that we think. Retraining our brain, retraining the way that the mindset is working. And I love Romans 12 because that's what Paul talks about, especially in these first two verses that we're going to look at today. He talks about how we need to retrain our minds. And it's really kind of, I think, all goes back to something I try to say pretty often when I'm preaching. We forget things all the time. We forget the gospel. We forget the truth about who Jesus is. We forget his grace and his mercy. And we get sucked into these wrong beliefs like, oh, I messed up. I'm such a failure. How can anybody love me? Well, then look at this in Romans chapter 12. And so we got to retrain our thinking. 
And so we're going to look at this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. How can we retrain our minds to rethink and have a different mindset? So let me pray real quick and then we'll read the passage. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth in your word. God, I pray that you will bring out the truth today as you want us to hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here it is. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul starts off this 12th chapter with a word that we've heard before in the Bible, and that word is, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, I've said it before, you've got to figure out what the therefore is there for. What is Paul saying? What did he say previous to this that, that he's trying to get us to remember? Really, he's pointing back to all of Romans chapters 1 through 11. What was he saying there? He said it in the passage here, in view of God's mercy. All of Romans 1 through 11 is talking to us about God's mercy through Jesus. The grace, the mercy that we've been given. He talked about how I do things that I don't want to do and I don't do things that I know I should do. But in the end, I still have God's mercy. And what he's trying to say to us is, in view of all of that mercy, here's what we should do. Now, you've probably done this. If you're a parent, you've done this with your kids before. You've tried to get them to do their chores. And you've tried it before by saying, hey, yo, you need to vacuum. And your kid was like, I think I hate you. <laughs> like they turn into Darth Vader. No, I don't want to do that. So you change up the scenario a little bit. Sometimes you say, you know, in light that your sister did the dishes, I'd like you to do the vacuuming. It's brilliant, right? Because all of a sudden they're like, they can't be like, I'm the only one that you hate. No, I hate your other sister too. <laughs> like, so... We use that idea of God's amazing mercy that I've just described for you in Romans 1 through 11. You won't have the right thought process to live like you're supposed to live. If you don't remember all this stuff back here, you're going to forget stuff. You're not going to live like I'm about to tell you you're supposed to live. See, I think God has given us every reason to change how we're living. But here's the problem. We can't change how we're living if we don't change how we're thinking. It all starts with the thought process. So that's where he's getting at here. So I want to take a look at three ways, I think, in this passage that, that Paul's trying to get us to rethink our mindset. And the first one, the first one's kind of weird, I'll be honest. The first one he talks about offering your body as a sacrifice. Offering your body as a sacrifice. Like that's, I don't know. That sounds like something I don't maybe want to do from the first thing that I'm hearing. But here's what he says, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, now, I got to be honest, that phrase, living sacrifice, has always been a really intriguing phrase to me. What does it mean for us to be a living sacrifice? Sacrifice itself is it, it's talking about death. A sacrifice dies to something. So what in the world is a living sacrifice supposed to be? And I'll be honest, I think as Christians, a lot of times we don't get what the living sacrifice thing is. We get sacrifice. 
Like I need to, my life needs to be painful. It needs to be hard. I got to not enjoy stuff. I got to sacrifice if I'm going to be what God wants me to be. That ain't what Paul's saying here. (laughs) It's not even close. He says living sacrifice. Now I love actually, if you look at the Greek word that he uses here for living. The Greek word he uses for living in this living sacrifice is is a little bit. But the, the definitions look like this. To live, to breathe, to be among the living, not lifeless, not dead. To enjoy real life. Active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. This one I really love. Living water, having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. Living, to be full, in full vigor. To be fresh, to be strong, to be efficient. And I tell you, that kind of living sacrifice to me actually sounds kind of exciting. But you know, I think a lot of times, again, as Christians, we are, we make being a sacrifice boring and dull. Like we've got to follow all these rigid rules and we've got to be perfect to the T. I've got, got to read my Bible and know it so well because I'm, there's going to be a test at the end that I'm going to have to pass to get in. No! That's not how it goes, you guys. If you're going to be a living sacrifice, Paul's trying to say, you should be the person that everybody wants to be around. People should want to hang around with you. Doesn't mean you have to be the life of the party. Sometimes I try too hard to be the life of the party, and then I say really dumb stuff. You don't have to be that. My wife has never been the life of the party any day in her life, but she is the nicest, best person to hang around with that you could ever imagine. Everybody wants to be around her. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. As Christians, there should be something living in us that is so powerful. Jesus, his sacrifice, he lived perfectly for us. That's pretty cool. He died in place of us, but then he rose from the dead. If that's what living sacrifice looks like, I want every bit of it. But I don't want the kind of sacrifice that makes me look like I'm this Christian who doesn't have any fun in life, who nobody wants to be around, who everything's got to be perfect, and if it's not, I'm going to judge you for it. That's not a living sacrifice. It's the opposite. Sacrifice, in my thinking, a lot of times is giving up sugar to have a healthier body. Ugh. That sounds awful. I like sugar. You know what? And here's the thing. It's better for me than broccoli and cauliflower. I've determined that. Uh, it gives me less gas than those fr- vegetables do. I don't like broccoli and cauliflower, okay? Sacrifice in my thinking is buying knockoff name brands so that my kids can get money saved up for college. Guess what? They're going to go into debt anyhow. I want the stuff that works. Man. Knockoff name brands. Sacrifice in my thinking is reading a book instead of watching a cool television show. I Man, watching TV is just more fun. But the best sacrifice is being a living sacrifice for Jesus, kids. Um, Actually life-giving. Just like reading a book can be, kids. Um, (laughs) Just wanted to make sure that everybody knew reading a book is okay. But life-giving. That's what our sacrifice is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be. If you're living your life for Jesus and you're doing it and you think that it's got to be painful all the time... That's not what Paul's saying here. I choose to forgive someone rather than hold on to bitterness and resentment. That's life-giving sacrifice. It might hurt me to forgive, but man, it hurts more to hold on. I choose to live for the sake of others rather than for my own sake. There's something when I give up my time and my energy for somebody else, 
man, it, it, it feels like a sacrifice a lot of times at first, but then it, it's this life-giving thing. I was talking about this with Jackie Ray. She's, she comes to our church here. She helps out with our kids and our uh, kids' works and at Kids Midweek. She's awesome in, in how she loves kids like that. Um, and we were talking this week about our Kids Midweek ministry where we go to Wilson Elementary uh, Wednesdays after church, after school, during the school year. And we were both saying there are days where that day is coming up and it gets to 2 o'clock and it's the last thing that I want to do. It's the last thing I want to do to go to hang out with kids who've been in school all day and who want to literally, like, burn something. But we go there, and Jackie and me both said the same thing. I go there, and even on my worst day, as I've given myself to that, man, something feels right afterwards. I feel better than what I felt before. There's life-giving in sacrifice. Our sacrifice is called to be life-giving. If your sacrifice is not life-giving, you're doing it wrong. In fact, Paul, he gives us a sense that this is the only reasonable thing that we can do. See, the, the word, when he talked about at the end of the verse that this is our real and proper worship, the Greek word for, for proper that he uses is this word logikos. And what that word actually can be translated as, a lot of, a lot of passages translate it as reasonable. I think that it is actually a better translation. That our, our living sacrifice that we give our bodies to, to Jesus with, it is a more reasonable, more logical way to serve his mercy is for us. It's the only reasonable thing that we can do. See, living sacrificially in our own minds, it doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem like the logical thing to do all the time. But living for myself every day, oh my goodness. Even though that seems reasonable, it's the most unreasonable thing that I could possibly do. When I conform to the world and I start to live for myself, it becomes a drag on me. There's no life-givingness in, in living for myself. And so that leads us into the second thing that Paul talks about. He's talked about how we need to give up our bodies, live as living sacrifices to him. Not to Paul, to Jesus. And then he says this, don't conform to the world. First part of verse 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And there's a lot of people that look at that verse and they're like, what's so wrong with the world? I like the world. I want to conform to the world. Let me, let me enjoy the things in this world. But the truth is, our world is leaning more and more towards a place where there is no real belief in a right or a wrong. Conformity is all about conforming to a certain set of standards or ideals. What does conformity look like if there isn't even standards anymore? We don't even have a right or a wrong. And for a lot of people, to even the idea of complying to anything outside of what they think that they want, it sets them off. They don't, the, the idea of complying at all is just foreign to people now. But can we really decipher the difference here between a worldly pattern of living and thinking and a godly pattern of thinking? Can we understand the difference? Somebody said this. Now, you're going to see up on the screen, and at the bottom of it, it's just going to say, someone. Because I don't know who said it. Of God that happens to be in the world is different from loving the world itself. Just because you love something in the world doesn't mean that you're, you're loving something that's not of God. I love sports. And I tell you, I've learned 
some of the best godly things in sports. How to be a team player. How to love people who are, who are my opponents. How to work hard. How to, how to think in positive kinds of ways. So sports in and of itself is not this worldly thing. It can become worldly. But we want to we believe that if something seems good to me, if it seems right, then it's right for me. We don't like to be told something is wrong for us. That if it doesn't explicitly hurt somebody else, then it's totally fine for me to do it. That's not always the case. Not all things in the world are bad, but not all things in the world are good for us. Take, take a look at money. Jesus talks about this when he talks about money. He says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I want you to notice, he does not say there that money's bad. He says serving money over God is bad. Maybe you got a, a, a young 20-something-year-old guy. He's single, and he's working a job that pays him really well, and he has given his life to this job. He's working 80 hours a week just so he can make all the money that he, that he wants to make so he can buy all the things he wants to buy. Is he hurting anybody else? Probably not. But is he living in a worldly system or a godly system? I would, I would say he's probably living in a worldly system. That that money has become his God when God is the only one who can be our God. What are some other worldly systems versus godly systems? A worldly system is needing to portray a carefully crafted image of myself all over social media. Gotta be honest, that's kind of icky. Godly system is not letting social media affect my self-worth or my judgments of other people in any way. And if I can't be on social media without that happening, then I'm fine leaving it behind altogether. Social media itself is not bad. It is our thought process with social media that becomes bad. Worldly system is now it's not a totally bad thing, but it can become worldly. When the godly system is, I will sacrifice at a cost to myself for the good of someone else. Yeah, I want to get paid more, not just so that I can do more for myself, but maybe I can do something good. That's more the, the godly system. A worldly system says, I'm jealous of all that you've accomplished. A worldly system says, I'm happy for, all of, for you and for all of your success. There is a difference between worldly system of thinking and godly system of thinking. And all of it starts with our mind. Everything starts with our mind and then behavior comes. See, behavioral change really takes place after a mind change has occurred. Problem is those mind changes take a long time sometimes. But I tell you what, if you can change your system of thinking, your behavioral change is going to follow along pretty closely and pretty quickly. But it's got to start in the mind. How does it start in the mind? Well, we need the Holy Spirit's help. Now, you might say, Kellen, it sounds like a cop-out. I'm supposed to change my mind, and now I'm saying, okay, God, can you do it all for me? But 1 Corinthians actually tells us, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. If you think living a godly system of thinking is warped and foolish, Maybe it's because you've lived for so long within the sin nature that we are born with that your mind is so warped that you can't see the good in the godly system. 
It's hard for us to see what God sees for us if I have not allowed the Holy Spirit to change that way of thinking. Because I'm telling you what, this world runs on a, on a worldly system. This world thinks in world, more worldly ways all the time. And as we are so inundated in media and in the world, in, teach, in our, the teachings around us, it is hard for us to think in godly systems unless we ask God for the help. You need to ask God to begin to change the way you think about worldly things and godly things and ask him to begin to reformat your mind to godly thinking. So that's the two things here that we've got so far. We've got our, our bodies need to be given as living sacrifices. We need to not conform to the world, but instead conform to godly systems of thinking. And then there's the last one. This is probably my favorite. Paul talks about how we need to renew our minds. Renew your mind. Test and approve. The second part of the will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That right there is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It's probably like one of my top ten. I don't know if you're supposed to have a top ten. That would probably be in my top ten. There's something I love about the idea of renewing my mind. Letting God completely, completely transform my mind to think the way that he wants me to think. The problem here is most of us need this renewal constantly. We constantly need our minds to be renewed. Why is that? Well, I actually think it's a lot, you could compare it a lot to, in nature, the second law of thermodynamics. And some of you are like, why? Why would you go there, Kellen? I'm sorry to bring up a scientific term. But what, okay, what does that law say? It's, it says that the natural tendency of any isolated system is to degenerate into a disordered state. Once again, let me just make it even more simpler. Things get bad. Okay, that's what it means. Things continually break down. If you are over 25 years old, you know your body breaks down. If you've ever owned a home, you know that that home goes to junk sooner rather than you want it to. Things degenerate. Things break down. And guess what's a part of that? Our thinking is a part of that. Our thinking degenerates. It breaks down. We, get, we can be in a good place one day and something happens over the course of the next couple of days and all of a sudden you find yourself in this bad, bad mental state. How's that happen? When we get there, it looks like self-centeredness. It looks like apathy. It looks like hopelessness. Um, sometimes I see this happen with kids when I, I take them to church camp. I love that I get to go to church camp with kids in the next like two weeks from now and then another two weeks after that. The reason I love camp in the summer for kids, Bible camp, is there is no time in their lives where kids draw closer to God. Their mind's renewed to a godly system of thinking. And so they, they come home from camp and they're on fire for Jesus, but what happens two, two weeks, three weeks, two months, three months later on down the road? If they haven't continually worked at having their mind renewed in godly things, in gospel-centered things, what happens? It's the mental breakdown. We have that same thing as adults. We have fatigue in our minds where all of a sudden the godly systems of thinking start to dissipate. So how are you daily going to seek God to renew your mind? I suggest ask yourself really hard questions. Ask yourself questions like, is this thing that I'm thinking about right now, the way that I'm thinking about it, is it because all the people around me are thinking that way? Or is it because this is what I've seen that God 
how God wants me to think about this. Am I thinking in a worldly system or am I thinking in a godly system? Because if you're just listening to the news and you're listening to your friends, guess what? <laughs> you're going to think wrong about most things probably. This has to be a daily process for us. If we're going to be proficient in the way that we think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to practice it daily. That means I'm going to sit down when I read scripture. I'm going to be better about, okay, God, how do you want to, how do you want to challenge my thinking today? Show me how I can think differently that's not the right now the way you want me to be thinking. When I pray, God, I pray today as I go about my day that those wrong modes of thinking, that you'll find ways to crack through my surface. How many think as you think? Maybe it means stepping into areas of service, leading something at church, helping out with something at church, uh, being willing to give up my time and my energy and my money to things outside of myself. Because as I do that, all of a sudden my mind starts to change. Sometimes it takes a little bit of behavioral change to take the mind, get the mind to change where it needs to. But as that mind starts to change, then all of a sudden everything takes like an exponential growth. If we're going to renew our mind, let's be living sacrifices this week. Let's be people that people want to be around. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge is to begin to ask God to show you where the systems and patterns of thinking in your life are not lining up with truth. The challenge is to be open to the change that needs to happen in your thought life. I'm telling you, we don't think right. So many of us, we don't even realize the areas of our lives that we are thinking in completely ungodly kinds of fashions. We've let the world tell us how we should think. It's why we're living in so much struggle, a lot of us. But here's what I want you to know. Change is possible. But it's only possible when we open ourselves to a mindset transformation. Are you open to letting God transform your mind a little bit this week? And if you are, ask him to do it, because I believe he will. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.